Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's Overtime, 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer with you. We got plenty to talk about today. So I want to talk about the AFC-NFC championships. I want to take a look at the four teams left And take a look at those rosters, those teams, what's made them so special that's allowed them to get to where they are, and how can we apply that to what the commanders need to do this offseason, or at least in the next couple offseasons, and how they build this team to hopefully get to that part in the dance in the next couple of years. So we'll talk about that coming up. I want to talk about the head coaches. Uh, I had Chris pull me some audio when Doc talked to one of the guys from the Ly- the Lions uh, broadcast about Ben Johnson because I don't understand. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, but I don't quite understand where this idea that Ben Johnson can't be a leader, Ben Johnson just because he's an offensive guy. I, I do have a question because I was listening to, I think it was Javel and Culpepper. I'm not sure who it was, the, the caller to Grant and Danny in the final segment, basically saying that he didn't want Ben Johnson. And that's fine. We, we can have differences in opinion, but I'm not quite sure what his reasoning was. His reasoning was that he runs a, a fun offense that seems to work. And I'm not going to not choose a guy because it seems like he's part of a fad, even though I don't really think what they're running in Detroit is a fad offense. Like It's not like a Chip Kelly type offense. I, I don't know. So I didn't quite understand that. And I've seen some people not a fan of Ben Johnson, and it seems like it's almost a contrarian view. It's fine if you prefer someone else, but I think universally, in terms of first-time head coaches that are coming out, a lot of people want Ben Johnson. So I think it's kind of crazy that some people feel like he's not the candidate that they want or he's not a good candidate. I think that's a little bit crazy. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But yesterday, I was on here for about an hour leading up to Caps Hockey, and People always talk about how their phones listen to them. Frankly, my phone could be listening to me and watching me, and I really don't care because my life is boring. (laughs) I don't do anything exciting. So if you want to hear lots of sports podcasts and me talking about sports and texting about sports and watching sports on YouTube, fine. Surveil, watch me. I really don't care. Listen to me. But on Twitter today, I thought it was ironic that I saw multiple people talking about how, oh, the commanders will stick with Sam Howell, or they're not going to go quarterback at two, or they should not go quarterback at two. After I spent an hour yesterday passionately telling you why I think it's really the only decision they have to make is going quarterback at two. And I was trying to figure out, how do I best lay this out? How can I best express this? Because... I think what I'm getting frustrated with seeing with some fans on Twitter, seeing some of the talk about this, isn't necessarily just the discussion about all of this. Isn't necessarily you disagreeing if you don't want them to go quarterback at two. I think it's a bigger thing here. I think it has more to do with something 
in terms of how you want the philosophy of a general manager and decision maker to be. So a lot of people are looking at this and saying, we need to take the most risk-averse route. And I hate that. Absolutely hate it. Because you have to take chances. If you're just going to go risk-averse the entire time, yeah, you might get some solid players, but you're never going to win anything. Taking Patrick Mahomes with the 10th pick and trading up to do so for the Chiefs wasn't a risk-averse move. Taking Josh Allen with the 7th pick for the Bills wasn't a risk-averse move, right? When you look at these sorts of things, there are plenty of risks involved. And if you say, well, you should just always take the safest guy. So never take a quarterback? I don't quite understand what some of you want out of this team at the number two overall pick. And this is where I have an issue with. It's not even necessarily, like I said, with that pick in general. It's how you're looking at wanting Adam Peters to do his job. Scared money don't make no money. Right? So don't go out there and just continue to live a life of, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, there's some risks involved. I'm not going to take this route. There's some risks here. I can't do that. And I don't like that whatsoever, and I don't want that in a general manager. Do you like the fact that Trey Lance didn't work out? No. Do I like the fact that John Lynch and Adam Peters and Kyle Shanahan took a swing? Absolutely. They said, we need to upgrade, and we're going to aggressively try and upgrade. It didn't work. It blew up in their face, and it turned out to be a bad decision, and we can break that down all day, but they at least took a shot. The analogy I have here is a pretty simple one. If you're a baseball team, you're a manager, do you want a guy that's just going up there? Say it's a big spot in the game. Do you want a guy that's going to go up there and try and hit a home run? Or do you want a guy that's going to go up there and just try not to strike out? Because a lot of you, the way that you're talking about making decisions this offseason, and a lot of what you're talking about doing for the commanders going forward, is being the guy that just doesn't want to strike out. And maybe you end up accidentally lollygagging one down the right field line and you get a single, awesome. But now you're dependent on so many other things. you got to have someone else walk you in, hit you in. Yeah, maybe you draw a walk. Congratulations, that's awesome. I'd rather a guy that trusts his preparation, trusts what he's worked on, trusts his ability and tries to hit the home run. Is he going to strike out sometimes? Absolutely. Is uh, Sometimes he going to pop the ball up? Absolutely. But I'd rather take the guy that's going to take his chances, take his cuts at the plate, than I would a guy that's not even going to try to do anything meaningful. And what it sounds like so many of you want to do with Adam Peters and this job coming in here is it sounds like you don't trust him, one. And two, you want him to just be the guy, don't mess this up, don't mess this up, don't mess this up. Eric Bieniemy talked about this with Sam Howell this year. Sam Howell needed to just be decisive with the football. Be decisive, right? He said in a press conference, I would rather him be wrong on a decision, but he's being decisive, than just taking forever back there. Because at least if you're decisive, you trust your training, and you make a decision, and you stick with it. That's what I don't quite understand from so many of you, and from so many people that just want this team to go the safest route possible you got to take shots sometimes, and you have to trust the process. You have to trust what you're doing. So do I want them to go quarterback at two? Absolutely. Is there tons of risk involved? Could they end up drafting a Zach Wilson? Yep, 100%. Could they end up drafting a bust, and it ends up costing Adam Peters? Maybe if Ben Johnson comes here, Ben Johnson his job in a couple years? Absolutely. Could they all strike out? 100%. On the flip side... You could draft a quarterback that turns into the dude in the NFC for the next 10, 15 years. You could have a perfect pairing of a quarterback and a head coach. You could have all these things. You got to take chances for that. You have to swing for the fences. And this is what you have to go back to trusting what your process is and trusting your ability. If you're Adam Peters and you're going into this offseason and whoever the new head coach is going to be working collaboratively together, because I do think that is important that those two work together on the decisions that they make, because ultimately Adam Peters is going to put the team together and then the coach is going to have to figure out how to use these guys effectively and train them and, and develop them, right? So I think there needs to be a collaborative process there. But if you're Adam Peters, you need to trust your ability to scout these guys, 
figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are, figure out what you like and don't like about these guys, and then you have to trust the coaching ability on these guys. You're going to bring in a new coach. You have to trust him to be able to develop it. I want to continue talking about this because I think this bleeds into the decision-making just in general. You have to take some risks. You have to take some risks. If you're just going to continue to go to safe route, then congratulations, 8-8, eight and 8-8-1, eight, eight, eight and 7-10. Those sorts of things can be a fun part of your future. I'm sorry. I want to be hoisting Lombardi Trophy. So I think they need to take some home run swings, and hopefully they hit. Maybe they strike out, but I'll take my chances swinging for some home runs. We'll continue talking about this next on The Fan. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. We had some news break in the break there. Jim Harbaugh officially going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Multiple reports saying so, so... I don't know that that's shocking at all, but it is interesting. I like that hire by the Chargers. Toby Altizer with you here on Overtime 106.7 The Fan. I like that hire by the Chargers because it seems like that team has had all the tools the last couple of years. They've had everything they've needed to win, and they just haven't gotten it done. And sometimes you just need a winner in the building. Sometimes you just need that guy that can bring a winning culture that's been there before. (laughs) Ron Rivera style, don't draw me a map unless you've been there before. Aside from winning a Super Bowl, Jim Harbaugh has been there before. For just about everything, he's been there before. So I like bringing him in to help with Justin Herbert because, you know, Justin Herbert is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. But he was falling prey to being that guy that puts up the gaudy numbers every year and looks really good. And everyone likes him, and he's fun to play with in video games, and he never wins anything. He was turning into that guy. So I'm kind of glad that they can bring in a guy in Jim Harbaugh that has a winning pedigree, that's been able to win basically at every level he's been involved in football. So credit to the Chargers making a move there. Jim Harbaugh officially going to L.A. I want to wrap up this discussion because at 7 o'clock, I do want to get into some lessons the commanders can take from the four teams left standing. We'll talk about that coming up at 7. But just to wrap this up, I have no issue if you disagree on quarterback at 2 or not. Like I said, I feel like everyone's entitled to their opinion. That's the beauty of the medium that we work on. I can have my opinion. You can have your opinion. We don't have to agree. I can voice mine. You can call in and voice yours. But the issue that I have with so many people is their philosophy that every single decision needs to be risk-averse. Now, not to say that every single time they make a pick, every time they make a decision, it should be trying to hit a home run. Just like I don't necessarily want a hitter in baseball coming up every single time he's swinging for the fences. Sometimes I just need a single. Sometimes I'll take a walk. Sometimes I'll take just a nice double the other way. I love all those things. But... When you're in a position that this team is in right now and you're at the number two overall pick, that's when you take your daddy hack. That's that 3-1 count that you've been looking for. 
that's when you take the chance. You could miss. You absolutely could. And it could end up poorly. But you're in the position now to take that chance. And so I want to see them do whatever they deem is best. I don't think that's trading back. I do not think that at all. I think there's a clear tier of Caleb Williams. I, I think kind of he's on his own tier, honestly. And then there's a tier right behind them of Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Take your pick there. And then there's a drop. And then you have the Michael Penix, the J.J. McCarthy's, the, the Bo Nicks. That's kind of what I think. So I'd like to see them take someone in that tier two unless Caleb Williams is available. And some of this talk has kind of died down a little bit. But if it only took your two twos to move up to number one overall to take Caleb Williams and you think he's that transcendent of a talent, that he's that much better, and he's clearly in his own tier and he can be your franchise quarterback for the next 10, 15 years, I wouldn't hate doing that either. And people will look at it and say, well, you can't give up the picks. How foolish would you feel if at the end of their rookie contracts, five or six years, if Drake May turns into a solid quarterback or Jaden Daniels turns into a solid quarterback, there's someone that can be a league average starter and Caleb Williams turns out to be the stud that everyone's talking him up to be and a top seven, top six, top five quarterback. How foolish would you feel if you weren't willing to give up two twos to move up to do that. Seriously. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I'm not the one evaluating all these guys. I think there are clear downsides to basically every single prospect. You look at Caleb Williams, you got plenty of stuff off the field to deal with. You also got plenty of stuff on the field in terms of playing on schedule. I think he's incredibly special, though. I'll take my chance at the Caleb Williams. He's still my top guy. Drake May is still my number two guy, but he kind of had a Sam Howell type thing where they're different quarterbacks. I don't want to say that I'm comparing them in that sense, but they had a really good second to last year. Their final year before they declared, they weren't quite as good. He didn't have quite the supporting cast that Jaden Daniels had at LSU, but he didn't put the same type of stuff on tape this year that he did the year before. And then you have Jaden Daniels where you've seen plenty of years of bad to mediocre and this year was excellent so is it something where he can continue to do that and is he a good enough developed enough pocket type passer to be able to do these things so i think there's downsides to all these guys but at the same point this is the time to take a swing hopefully you can hit it hopefully you hit the home run we all want to see that but this is where adam peters has to trust his process trust the scouting trust that Ben Johnson, whoever he brings in as head, co head coach, it kind of sounds like Ben Johnson, trust that whoever they bring in can develop this quarterback into what you need to be as an NFL passer and make it work. You have to trust the process. Ultimately, these guys are going to be judged on what they can do, probably with this second overall pick because they're probably taking a quarterback. I know a lot of people want to talk about trading down. I don't even think that's really on the table, to be honest. I, I just don't feel like it is. And so they're going to be judged heavily on what happens with this number two overall pick. And as much as their jobs are just getting started in terms of a head coach and a general manager, their jobs could be on the line in a couple of years because of a decision they make here at the number two overall pick. But that doesn't give them an excuse to just sit there and take a single and take the left tackle and continue to have no answers at the quarterback position in D.C., which has basically been the story of this franchise since <laughs> my entire lifetime and longer. As long as you can remember, this team hasn't had the quarterback position settled because even when they had a quarterback, it wasn't a long-term thing. So you got to take a swing. Hopefully you hit the home run, but don't just be sitting up there hoping you don't strike out. Let's take a break. When we come back, I do want to talk about these final four teams. You've got the 49ers, you've got the Lions, you've got the Ravens, you've got the Chiefs. What are some similarities between the four teams that we can take a look at and say, all right, the commanders should try to build their team this way? What are some things that we can look at from these teams and take into the offseason for Adam Peters looking to rebuild this roster? We'll talk about it next here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. In case you missed it, 
last hour as we wrapped up, Jim Harbaugh is the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I like that move. Hopefully he can turn him into a winner. I'd like to see Justin Herbert start playing some meaningful, good football games and win some of those. Seems like every time he plays a meaningful football game, his team finds a way to lose. Toby Altizer with you here on 106.7 The Fan. It's overtime. So I want to take a look at the four teams that are left in the NFL playoffs. you got the Lions, you've got the Niners, you've got the Chiefs, and you've got the Ravens. And there's a couple takeaways that I want to get into about these teams that I think if you're Adam Peters looking at the Commanders, you've got to kind of build along these lines or at least prioritize some of these things that haven't necessarily been prioritized here. And (laughs) I was listening to the last little bit there of Grant and Danny, and I guess they didn't get to talk to Mark Schlereth. And so I'm going to make up for the fact that Mark Schlereth wasn't on for (laughs) G&D. I'm going to make up for that fact. So if you're listening, Chris Russell, the rooster, this is for you. My number one takeaway, at least on the offensive side of the football, for these teams that are left, and I promise you, I'm not 50 I'm not 65. I'm hoping you can tell by my voice that I'm not that old, but even if you can't, I'm 25 years old, and this is my number one takeaway. The run game is still important in the National Football League. I'll say it one more time. The running game is still important in the National Football League. If you don't believe me, three of the four teams, when you think of them, you think of their run game. San Francisco 49ers. Run game. Detroit Lions, you think of the run game. Baltimore Ravens, you think of the run game. And they're all effective at it. And it's something that they do not well, not just well, but also quite often in attempts. This is where these teams ranked this season. The Ravens were first in rushing attempts. The Lions were seventh in rushing attempts. The 49ers were eighth in rushing attempts. The Chiefs, not so much, 25th. But three out of the four. And I think you can notice a theme with some of these. There can be an exception. There always is an exception, it seems like, to the rule. There's no one way you have to go about this. But I think seeing three of the four teams were top ten in rushing attempts this year, I think it shows you how important it is. And the Chiefs, they have Patrick Mahomes. So, of course, they can get away with other stuff. He allows you to be the exception, having Patrick Mahomes. Yards per carry. The Ravens were third. The 49ers were fourth. The Lions were fifth. And the Chiefs, although they didn't run it often, they had the 13th best yards per carry. Rushing touchdowns, the 49ers were second. The Lions were third. The Ravens were fourth. The Chiefs down at 26th. So my point is this. Three of the four teams that are left, they ran the ball. It's something that still needs to be done in modern football. And I'm not saying that it needs to be something where you're running it 60% of the time. I'm not saying any of that. But it still needs to be prioritized, and it still needs to be a part of your game plan. And that's where I think Eric Bieniemy failed the most this year. We can argue about whether Sam Howell held the offense back, and I think at this point, having seen all 17 games, I think it's hard, even though I'm a big Sam Howell guy, I think it's hard to say that he didn't at least hold it back some. Didn't help, though, that so much was put on his shoulders and they're throwing the ball the most in the National Football League. You still have to be able to run the football. It's something that's important. Unless you have a guy like a Patrick Mahomes, maybe you can get away with it with Josh Allen, but even they ran the football more this year, and I think they were up there in the top 10 in terms of rushing attempts because they wanted to limit some of those turnovers when they went to Joe Brady after they fired Ken Dorsey. So... You still have to be able to run the football, and it's still important, and I think it becomes even more important this time of the year. Think about the two teams in the NFC. Uh, Obviously, the two teams going at it in the AFC Championship, the Ravens and the Chiefs, have spectacular quarterbacks, and you can put the game on their shoulders, and you're going to feel good because you've got an MVP caliber, an MVP winner for both of those guys at quarterback. When you look at the Lions and you look at the 49ers, part of the reason why you should be able to run the football and why it's important to run the football is you want to take a little bit off their plate. 
it's not even necessarily as much just always being super effective and the stuff that Mark Schlereth would bring up if he were to have joined G&D today to talk about running the football. You, you obviously have the physicality and the toughness that it brings to a football team, and it wears down a defense. You can talk about all those things, and that is definitely true. But when you have a quarterback like a Jared Goff who has a tendency, if things aren't necessarily going his way, to turn the football over, and you have a guy like a Brock Purdy that is limited, and he can't just go create plays like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, you got to take some of those opportunities away from them just so you can protect them, just so that way you can make it so that everything doesn't fall on their shoulders. So I think the run game is absolutely important, and I, I, I think it's ironic how many people think that you can that you have to just be so pass heavy and they want Ben Johnson. And I know it sounds like I'm taking shots at G and D here. I'm not, they, you can have different opinions and we, we obviously do have different opinions. Ben Johnson's going to run the football. And I like that. That's why I don't mind having Ben Johnson be one of the top candidates. He's going to run the football as much as he draws up some fun concepts and he's able to get Laporta open and he's able to get these guys open over the middle of the field and do all these various things. A lot of that is built off the play action because they have an exceptional run game. And that's the other part of this too. When you run the football effectively, it forces them to take the play action more seriously. And all of these things lead to having it easier on your quarterback. Now, if the commanders drafted, Drake May or Jaden Daniels, and they turn into being an absolute stud that can carry an offense, then fine. You can have the the unicorn guy that doesn't have to have the run game accentuate the offense. Great. Chances are you're not going to get that guy because in the entire National Football League, there's maybe one or two or three guys that you'd say, yeah, if the run game's not going, I'm fine with them throwing the ball 50 times. And not just throwing the ball 50 times against some sucky defense in week eight. Talking about in the divisional round of the playoffs or the conference championship or the Super Bowl, right? In the playoffs. If I have to depend on Patrick Mahomes, if I'm Andy Reid, I'm all right with it. If I have to depend solely on Jared Goff, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not feeling all that great. I might feel fine against the bad defense, I'm not facing a bad defense in the NFC Championship in the 49ers. So I think the run game absolutely still matters. Chris, do you think that makes up for Schlereth not joining G&D? Do you, do you think that makes up for him? <laughs> I don't know what happened with that, man. Uh, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> what, what could make up for it, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited about seeing running coming back. You know, growing up, I'm a little older than you, and growing up as a Skins fan here, we always had a strong run game, you know, going back to Ernest Biner and, and you know, up through Stephen Davis and these guys. And uh, and I've missed it. I've missed having that just, you know, always having a strong run game. Team could be good, team could be bad, but they always had a good running game. Well, and I think, again, this is a cyclical league. I think what you're seeing now in some of these teams is they're realizing that with teams constantly going to the nickel – you know, five defensive backs taking a linebacker off the field so that they can get that extra DB out there. A lot of teams living in the nickel basically as their base defense. Like, we can talk about 3-4, 4-3. Almost no one plays an actual base defense anymore. Basically, everyone lives in the nickel formation as their, as their base defense. And so when you do that, that's when you want to run the football. And I think this is also why you're seeing a position that maybe wasn't getting paid as much is now getting guys paid quite a bit. You got two of them on this team, and that's defensive tackles. Why? Because you still got to be able to get pressure while only rushing four, while still stopping the run, because you got to leave so many people out there to cover these superhero wide receivers and cover these incredible tight ends. So you have to be able to cover, you have to be able to stop the run, but I think coming back now to the offensive side, I think you're starting to see that it's not ever going to go back just because of the analytics and just because of the numbers. It's never going to go back to a run-first league, and that's not even what I'm advocating for here. So don't get me twisted. I'm not. I, I think for me, if I were going for a, a perfect split, it's somewhere between 55-45 pass to run, and maybe if you got a really good quarterback, you'd go 60-40 pass to run. So I'm still saying you're a pass-first football team. I'm still saying you're doing all these things. But you have to be an effective run team. You still have to use it. It can't be one of these things like Washington had, I think, in the Bears game 
which I didn't necessarily disagree with the play calling because the run game wasn't working, but they went, what, the last two and a half quarters without calling an actual designed run play? That can't happen. It just can't. You have to be able to have an effective run game and not just something that you occasionally turn to. And so I I think that with the modern NFL, like you said, I think you might start seeing it come back in vogue a little bit. Never to the point that it was, but maybe it becomes a little more pivotal to it. But I think, like I laid out, three of the four teams that are left, with the exception of a Patrick Mahomes-led team, and I understand Lamar Jackson and his ability to run the football kind of adds into that, but my point's still taken that in attempts, the Ravens were first, the Lions were seventh, and the Niners were eighth. Three of the four teams left were top 10 in rushing attempts. You obviously want to be effective, and these teams were, and that's probably part of the reason that they're in these championship games. But just in attempts even, they ran the football and ran it a lot and ran it well. So I think that the run game is still important in the National Football League. Let's take a break. When we come back, I've got a couple more for you here. What are some lessons from the four teams that are left in the conference championship games that Adam Peters and those guys over in Ashburn can take as they look to rebuild this roster? We'll continue talking about it next here on The Fan. Welcome back. It's overtime on 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer with you. So we're talking about the four teams left in the conference championship games, looking at the commanders. What kind of lessons can they take as they look to rebuild the roster here? Hopefully they can be playing in one of these games this weekend pretty soon. But if you look at some of these teams, are there parallels? Are there things that all of these teams have? Are there certain things these teams do that allow them to be separate and make it to this point? One thing more on the offense. I want to hit on one thing on the defense as well, but let's stick with the offense here. We talked about last segment that the run game is still important. I won't continue on that one, but it can work in tandem with this. Prioritize the tight end position. Have a good tight end. The team's left, the Ravens, Mark Andrews, even though he was hurt, Isaiah Likely, and it looks like they're going to have Mark Andrews back on Sunday. So now you've got a two-headed monster there. Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely for the Ravens. The Chiefs, Travis Kelsey. The Lions, Sam Laporta. And the 49ers, George Kittle. And even before Laporta with the Lions, they had TJ Hawkinson. So you need to prioritize the tight end position. And not just having one of these mid-tier guys. I like Logan Thomas. I do. You need to have someone better than Logan Thomas. If he's your second tight end, awesome. But the way the modern NFL is going... You kind of need one of those freakish tight ends. It seems like there's at least one, maybe two every year that gets drafted in the first couple of rounds. Because even a guy like last year with Trey McBride, it took a little bit of time. This year, Trey McBride turned out to be a really good football player. But it takes a little bit of time sometimes with these guys. But you need one of those guys that just is a matchup nightmare. You put a corner on him, corner's too small. You put a safety on him. Safety's not as good a coverage guy as a corner, so maybe you can beat them because they're bigger. Whatever the case may be, linebacker too slow. right? It's just a matchup nightmare, and they can be involved in so many ways, and especially if you can get a guy like a George Kittle that can be very involved in the passing game but might be even more pivotal in the run game. You love having those sorts of guys, and it just becomes a security blanket for a quarterback. It's so nice to have because even if your quarterback's not the best passer, he can usually find the tight end, and you can scheme him open. I mean, think about how many times in the game last Sunday that Sam Laporta was just running wide open across the middle of the field, and it felt like, okay, that's a layup for Jared Goff. It felt like me or you could have stepped in there and thrown into some of those windows that were wide open for Laporta. So I think prioritizing the tight end position and getting someone that can be a difference maker at that position is so important. It's something that you need to have in an offense. And I think that skill players in general are becoming even more pivotal than they were in terms of receivers, pass catchers, basically, tight ends and receivers. But having a difference-making tight end, I think, is so important to the modern offense because of their ability to create those mismatches. On the outside, you can find guys... And you can get those those studs on the outside, and they're nice to have. But I'd almost rather have a really, really good tight end. 
Now, it's nice here in D.C. You've got some guys already on the outside, so you don't have to look at trying to really upgrade the wide receiver position. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Curtis Samuel. I'd assume he goes somewhere else, so you need to find that third guy that, or even a second guy if you want to keep Jahan Dotson as the third option. But having Terry, having Jahan Dotson, you're decent at receiver, but they have not had tight end since, what, Jordan Reed? I mean, Logan Thomas had a solid year, but you saw the difference that having a Jordan Reed-type receiving threat at tight end makes for an offense. It changes things so much. So if you're going into this offseason, you're Adam Peters, and you're coming over from the 49ers that had a George Kittle, you have to find a way to get a difference-making tight end. And the beauty of this one, too, talking about George Kittle, you know, so many, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, so many people are scared of spending high draft capital on certain things, and it could be a bust. You can find some of these tight ends later on. Now, Laporta's a first-round pick. Uh, Andrews was, I believe, a fourth-round pick. I think Likely was a third. I think Kelsey was a second. But George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. You can't always find these guys. But if you can develop guys and you can make things work, you can turn someone into a really good tight end. And I think that's important for this team to do. It doesn't have to be a second-round pick. It doesn't have to be a third-round pick. Or even you find someone that you like in free agency. But I think that they need to find a difference maker at that tight end position, especially when you consider the fact that they're going to have a young quarterback under center next year. You want to have that security blanket where if everything else isn't working, it feels like they can go short over the middle to that tight end and let them go to work. And they can be that mismatch nightmare where when everything else is falling apart and they can't get anything else going, they can go to that guy. So I think if you look at these teams, the four teams that are left, and you look at their tight ends, they're some of the best in the league. I think that shows you that the tight end position is very important to the modern offense, and it's something that the commanders need to prioritize this offseason. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to look at the defensive side of the football. This one was a little bit interesting, something that I didn't necessarily expect to see, but there was a parallel between the three teams with good defense and the one team with a bad defense, <clears throat> the Lions, and what is the difference between them. We'll talk about that next here on The Fan. Welcome back. It's overtime. 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer with you. We'll teach, take you up to Tech Talk Live. That'll take you up till Capitals Hockey. They take on the Avalanche tonight. Looking to avenge the loss last night to the Minnesota Wild. Right now we're talking about the four teams left in the conference championship games. Looking at some parallels between the four teams. Just trying to figure out some things that... You can't necessarily just see when you're just watching the game, but you look at some of the numbers, you look at various things and see similarities between the teams. Maybe it's something you want to try if you're the commanders. And so we're just taking a look. On the offensive side of the ball, we saw that the run game from the numbers, it's still important. Aside from Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, the run game was very important to the other three teams that got there. The tight end position was important to all four football teams. All four were really excellent tight ends. And then now we need to shift to the defensive side of the ball. And this one, it honestly surprised me. It, it kind of shocked me when I looked at this and looked at some of these numbers. And I think it's pretty clear when you look at the four teams in the conference championships, three of them have a pretty good defense, and one has a pretty poor one. The Lions, I think we can all agree, have poor uh, have a poor defense. The Ravens have maybe the best defense in the league, probably do have the best defense in the league. The Chiefs are right up there, and the Niners as well. The Chiefs have had a resurgence, really, in a lot of ways on their defensive side of the football. But I think it's interesting because you would generally think that it's so important to stop the run. It's something that you feel like is just a fundamental tenet of football, that you have to be able to stop the run. And what's so shocking to me is the three teams that we all would agree have a good defense weren't necessarily bad against the run, but they weren't as good against the run as they were against the pass. And so if you look at this, it almost shows you that maybe having a good pass defense and finding a way to get pass rushers and corners and being able to cover people in the modern NFL is more important than being able to stop the run. And so you look at rush yards per game. Uh, yards per carry, excuse me. The Lions are third 
in rushing yards per carry, and they don't have a good defense. But they're third in that category. The Niners are 14th. The Chiefs are 25th. The Ravens are 26th. So the Ravens, who might have the best defense all year, are towards the bottom of the league in yards per carry against them. But when you look at yards per attempt in the through the air in the passing game, the Ravens are second, the Chiefs are third, the Niners are fifth, and the Lions are all the way down at 31st. So I think when you look at this, you can make a conclusion that the pass defense in the NFL, in the modern NFL, right now is more important than the rush defense. So, yes, having a guy that can come in and be a good run stuffer in the middle is important, like I was talking about, and it is something that you need to have. But if they can't rush the, rush the passer, then uh, <laughs> it might be someone you have to pass on because the Lions have been able to stuff the run for the most part, but they can't stop the pass, and their defense is really bad. So you've got to find a way. Obviously, you want to do both. I'm not saying that you should just have a team that is incredibly porous on the ground but is very good in coverage. No, you still have to be able to because you think back to the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago between the Niners and the Packers, and the Niners passed the ball, what, eight times? <laughs> That's all they did. They won that game pretty handily with Mostert running the ball all over Green Bay. You still have to be able to stop the run. But you don't have to be the best at it. You don't have to be a top 10 unit. Matter of fact, the three three of the four teams that are left are not top 10 rush units in terms of yards per carry. But in yards per attempt in the passing game, you have to be really good. Three of the four teams left are top five. In sacks, you look at this. The Ravens are first. The Chiefs are second. The Niners are ninth. The Lions, the lone bad defense left, down at 24th. So I think when you look at this, it shows that having a defense that can be effective against the pass is more important than having a defense that's fairly effective against the run. So if you're looking at Washington, what does that mean? Well, you've got two defensive tackles in Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. And Deron Payne, after having a career year last year, has kind of come back to the pack in terms of a pass rusher. Makes you question some of that. Jonathan Allen. We talked with Nick Ackridge on the station last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember exactly when we talked with them, but we were talking about Jonathan Allen. He said he was still an effective pass rusher. So maybe you stick with those two guys for another year. I know some people have been looking to move off Jonathan Allen, but maybe you just roll it back, run it back another year. But you probably need to go find some corners. You probably need to go get an edge rusher that makes a difference. Because the other thing, too, yards per attempt, like we said, Three of the four are top five, but three of the top four, or three of the four teams are in the top ten in sacks. So you've got to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback and bring him down. Because, like we talked about all year long with the sacks that Sam Howell was taking, it can set back your drive. It can really screw up a good drive if you're moving the ball and all of a sudden you get sacked. So I think what this shows you is in this off season when you're Adam Peters, you need to bolster up the secondary which is so odd. It still baffles me because John Allen, before the season, was talking, and he was saying, I've never played with a secondary like this one. And he was talking about it in a good way, but I don't think he realized it was going to happen like that in a bad way because he hadn't played with a secondary like that. But it was a bad, bad, bad secondary that was behind him. They're going to have to fix that. It's important to have good corners that can be sticky in coverage and man and zone. And that's another thing that's important, too, is finding guys that fit the scheme. Find guys that work with what you're trying to do on offense and defense. We've seen it plenty of times here defensively where you're not running man-to-man and you sign a man corner in William Jackson and it doesn't work out. You're, uh, you're more of a zone match type scheme and you draft a guy that seemed like he would have been perfect in that, in Emmanuel Forbes, and then you play a lot of man-to-man and press man, and it didn't work. So find guys that fit in the scheme, but you have to be effective against the pass. As much as I talked about earlier, the run game being important, and I still believe that, the modern NFL people are going to pass the football, so you've got to find a way to slow that down. Even if they're going to complete passes, it can't be the bombs, right? It's that 
two-shell defense that we kept hearing about for the last couple of years when they started doing this to Mahomes and he kind of had to evolve and check the ball down a little bit more. It's those sorts of things. It's going to continue to change. But it's so important to have a good pass defense in the modern NFL because teams want to be able to get those big shots. And if you can have a sound defense, you also need to be able to turn the ball over. And that's something that I wonder if wasn't the fatal flaw this year for Jack Del Rio and his defense. He talked about it before the season. He said he wanted to be more aggressive and have turnovers. And I wonder if that wasn't the fatal flaw of the defense. Because last year, I thought the defense was technically sound. You didn't get a lot of turnovers but for the most part it's for whatever reason there were still always those blown coverages but for the most part it seemed like when the rush unit started to work together as one last year and the coverage started to be a little bit better everything started to sync up and the defense was solid this year it seemed like they tried really hard to create the turnovers and being a little bit more aggressive and the things that were maybe a little out of character for del rio and it just didn't work but either way with how the modern offenses work and how difficult it is to defend, you've almost got to do the bend-don't-break system because it's almost impossible to be the type of defense that just doesn't allow you to gain a yard. The Remember the Titans defense. They're not going to gain another inch. You know, you can't really do that in the modern NFL. It's that bend-don't-break style where they might be able to move the ball. They get inside that 30, 40-yard line. Now you've got to really buckle down and you got to allow them nothing but up until then you got to be a little bit more careful and you will allow them to underneath stuff but you don't want to allow the explosive plays so it's just interesting when you look at this and you look at three of the four teams having really good pass defenses and mediocre to even bad rush defenses and those are the three teams with generally well thought of defenses and the team that has a really good run defense in terms of in terms of yards per carry and a really porous, bad pass defense is the one that's thought of as one of the worst in the league. <laughs> and and they've improved the last couple of years, no doubt about it. But they're still not a good unit by any means. It's just crazy to think about. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Because to me, this kind of baffled me. You know, you look at things and you, know, you try to make hypotheses of sorts, right? You're just looking through numbers and trying to figure things out. And I would have thought you've got to still be good against the run. It just feels like a natural tenet of football that when you're a defense, you have to be able to stop the run. And when I looked at these numbers, I was a little shocked that some of these teams, the Chiefs and Ravens, were 25th and 26th in the the rush yards per carry. So they're not particularly great against the run, but they were good against the pass, and we're talking about how good these defenses were. Yeah, I actually find that kind of surprising, too. I didn't know that until you were saying that tonight. But uh, I think think part of it just goes to show it's such a pass-first league. And, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, then you've also got the the thing I'd like to see broken down, too, is like what kind of running plays? Are we talking like Lamar running? I I know we're talking about the Ravens defense here, but like are we talking about QBs running like Mahomes and whatever? Are we talking about just strict, you know, running back handoff kind of stuff? Are we talking about weird reverses with receivers, you know, or things like that? I'd like to see kind of the breakdown of, of some of that as well. Yeah, that would be interesting, and just for context, I've got just the entire year, rush yards per carry, right? So whether that's a quarterback draw, whether that's a halfback dive up the middle, whether it's a reverse, whatever the case may be, it's all of them combined in there. But and how in does general, the push-push count into all that? You know, are we talking – because it might only be a one-yard carry, hey, but if it's always getting you that fourth in one, like, is that successful or is that – like, I, I don't know. It's just weird. That's true. No, that's a good point. But I I think if you're looking at this just from a perspective of your Adam Peters and you're trying to see things that you can take, because I think this is important. You know, I listened to a podcast with a couple of guys, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and they like to do this exercise. That's kind of where I stole it from. I, I think that you can look at various teams and see, all right, what makes them successful and why are we not successful? What makes them good at what they're doing and us not? What can we steal from their blueprint? And so I think looking at this and seeing that, well, Maybe having a great run defense was great in the 80s and 90s, and it's more important to have a great pass defense in the modern NFL and not allow those big yardage plays. So I I think it's just interesting. So the three things that I took away, run game, I think still important, prioritize the tight end position. Also, 
pass defense might be more important than run defense, which I would have never thought I would say, but uh, the numbers look like that's what it shows. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to continue talking about these championship teams, but we're going to talk about it from their perspective. Who do we see winning on Sunday? What do we see as the Super Bowl matchup? We'll talk about it next year on The Fan. Welcome back. It's Overtime 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer with you here for two more segments. Then we'll turn it over to Tech Talk Live, and they'll take you up until Capitals hockey tonight. Some late-night hockey on the fans tonight as the Capitals take on the Avs out in Colorado. So keep it tuned to the fan all night long. So taking a look at the four teams in the conference championships, we talked about it from a perspective of Washington. Now let's take a look at it. Who's going to win these games? So let's start with the AFC championship in Baltimore. Kansas City on the road for a second straight week, the second time Pat Mahomes has had to go on the road in his playoff career, taking on Lamar Jackson. What do you feel, Chris? Like To me, I've seen Kansas City in so many environments, generally at home, but in the playoffs I've seen different game plans. I've seen them play well. I've seen them play not up to their full standard, but it seems like every single time they're going to show out and they're probably going to win the football game. And I've seen Baltimore enough times come out flat and not have their best stuff and not play particularly well. And Lamar Jackson hasn't had the best playoff record. And even last week, they looked fantastic in the second half. They struggled a little bit in the first half. So to me, like the safe pick here would be Kansas City. It feels like Kansas City... I know what I'm going to get out of them. They might not be the best team. They might not be the better team on paper, but I know I'm going to get a good effort from Kansas City, and they're going to show up. I'm not 100% sold that's going to happen for Baltimore, but to me it feels like if Baltimore shows up and they give their best effort and they play a full 60 minutes of good football, they should win the game, but I don't know if I fully trust that happening, so I kind of want to lean Kansas City. How about you? No, no, I think you're crazy. It's, I'm, I'm all about watching Lamar this game. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to go against Pat Mahomes, though. Right? I, know, I mean, I know it's Pat Mahomes, and I'm a Chiefs fan too. But I just think the Ravens are just they're just too complete of a team. I don't think I don't think in the you know it might be close again, like in the first half. But I don't think by the end of that game it's going to be all that close. I think the Ravens are going to win. See, I think, you know, I think Spags can come up with a game plan that can keep the Ravens from putting up 34 points like they did last week. And if they can keep that game in the 20s, I think the Chiefs can find a way to at least put up 21, 24 points. Like, they're not going to just absolutely run all over this Mike McDonald defense. I really like what the Ravens have. And Travis Kelsey had his best game of the year last week, but he was going against fourth and fifth string linebackers for the bills yeah i think he's not going to be going defense is is a lot tougher (laughs) he's not going to be going against that with roquan smith and patrick queen but i think that they can maybe get some work with rice if marquez valdez scantling that's someone that wasn't talked about enough and what he did in the divisional round game if he can get a couple catches down the field i think they can maybe have some success against those ravens corners depending upon what happens with humphrey even if he's out there i think they can still find some stuff against those guys but Kyle Hamilton is the ultimate chess piece they can do whatever they want with him they found a way to get pressure with guys aside from Matabike that really aren't that great or older in their career that kind of washed up at this point so I think that the better team is without a doubt Baltimore but I just have a hard time after seeing what happened last week where Pat Mahomes went on the road and showed that I can still do it even with maybe the worst team I've had as I've been the starting quarterback, I can still do it. Even against uh, uh, an MVP-type quarterback and Josh Allen, I can still get it done. I have a hard time going against Pat Mahomes. So I think I'm going to take the Chiefs. I I think that's who I'm going to roll with. I'm assuming you're going the Ravens then? Yeah, I got to go with the Ravens on this one. I think, you know, we're we're looking – you're talking MVP level quarterback. It's Lamar this year. I, I don't. I think if oh, he yeah, doesn't win, the then yeah, I think if he doesn't win, then it's something got crazy happened with the voting. Uh, the actual MVP this year. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just I don't know, man. I think it's really hard to to bet against the Ravens right now. They're playing at home. I think they are really really fired up. Um, that I, th- I think it's their game awesome. to lose. I think it's their game yeah. to lose. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. If the Ravens come out and play their game, they win the football game. And it's going to be electric in Baltimore. So they're going to have Ray Lewis and Ed Reed as the legends of the game. Jonathan Ogden is going to be the honorary captain. Michael Phelps is going to deliver the game ball. The offense is going to be introduced. That means Lamar Jackson, the future MVP winner for this year, is going to be announced last. And T-Pain is performing at halftime. (laughs) What more could you ask for out of that environment in Baltimore on Sunday? It's going to be a rocking place at M&T Bank. You got to throw Cal Ripken in. That's the only other thing they're missing, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, they've got the heavy hitters out there, and I think Terrell Suggs is going to be in attendance as well. I think he's getting honored. So, I mean, they are going to have a star-studded cast out there at MT Bank Stadium in Baltimore on Sunday. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Looking on the NFC, you got the 49ers and the Lions out in San Francisco. And, hey, Chris, I got to give you credit, man. Before the season, we were talking about this, and I didn't want to buy into the Lions hype. I... I just was a little bit skeptical, and here they are in the NFC Championship game. So credit to you, man. You were you were right on with this Lions team. Do you feel like they can get it done in San Francisco? I think they got a shot. I don't. I man, after watching the Packers almost take down uh, take down the Niners last week, I I feel like the well, Lions the are weather? a lot better team. So what's the weather in Santa Clara on Sunday? I because, don't know. I've not looked at the weather report in San well, Francisco. Well, let me look it up, because if it is going to rain, Brock yeah, Purdy struggled Purdy. in the rain. <laughs> but it looks like it's going to be, let's see, around kickoff, probably at, what, 4 o'clock their time. Looks like about 70 degrees and sunny. So I'm going to take the Niners running away with this one. I, I just feel like we talked about three of the teams have good defenses. I think Spags does a good job against the Ravens. I think McDonald does a good job against the Chiefs. And I think that that 49ers defense is going to do a good job against the Lions. I have no faith that Aaron Glenn, even though he's a good head coaching candidate, but I have no faith that Aaron Glenn is going to be able to find a way to really slow down that 49ers attack. And I don't think it's been talked about enough how much the Packers were benefiting from the fact that Brock Purdy couldn't throw the football in the rain last week. Now, if it's not raining... The Niners probably win that game by two or three touchdowns, right? I mean, they were able to do some stuff, but not a lot because Purdy looked so out of sorts. Like, if nothing else, when you watch Brock Purdy, you're used to look at, used to watching him look like a machine where he hits his back foot, ball's coming out, it's right on target, and basically none of that stuff felt like it was happening. It felt like they didn't get Christian McCaffrey as involved as they should have. They're going to find a way to just run the ball, hit the hit. The targets like Brock Purdy always does. I think the Niners kind of stomp all over the Lions. And at this point, I kind of almost want it to be done. So that way, Ben Johnson, if that's going to be the hire, they can get along with that process and bring it here to D.C. Yeah, I heard that whole debate on Great and Danny today, too. <laughs> so who do you think? I know you feel like the Lions have a shot. And I think, you know, there's definitely a route that the Lions could win this football game. I mean, these are four, maybe the four best teams in the league. But. Do you think they win? Because I just feel like the Niners are just too good on this one. I mean, again, the 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 49ers just don't. I know it's raining and Purdy's not as, as good when, you know, the weather conditions are bad. But I just think, you know, it's not like I'm looking at the Niners and I'm just like, man, these guys are, are fired up and they look like they're ready to march to the Super Bowl. They look like they could they could be toppled. And the Lions seem like a team good enough to do it. So I, I don't know. It's. It's hard to say that the Lions will definitely win, but I think they've got a pretty good shot. I think they really do. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. So if you had to pick, though, you go in Niners because uh, I want to know your see. super. I want to know your Super Bowl pick too. I know, I know. So, uh. so I'm going to go Niners and Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and I'm going to go with the Chiefs. It felt like to me that the Super Bowl was played last week in Buffalo. It felt like whoever won that game was going to find a way to win it all. So, as crazy as it would be for a down year. The Chiefs to go back-to-back feels like that guy and Patrick Mahomes has become inevitable. (laughs) So I'm going to go with the Chiefs beating the Niners. How about you? Uh, I think so. I'm going to have to go with the Ravens in the Super Bowl. I think we've already established that. Yep, yep. And, man, uh, I would would hate to see them play the Niners again after, you know, the whole 
the whole Super Bowl before where they did that. So I'm going to say Lions. Well, just don't Let's turn say the, Lions. Just don't turn the lights out. Yeah, don't turn the lights out. <laughs> Keep the electricity. Weather. They're playing was, in Vegas, was right? Was Beyonce, so, I think, played the halftime show or something? And they were yeah, saying well, she used too many too much power the, and blew a fuse or something? Whatever the case is, I think they're playing in Vegas. So maybe you have to turn off some of the lights on the strip. Make sure you don't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you don't blow a fuse at the Super Bowl, but keep the lights on. I think the Ravens could absolutely win it. I think whoever wins that Ravens-Chiefs game is going to go on and ultimately win it, but, man, I'm excited for Sunday. These games, I think, are shaping up to be some fun ones, some real good football left for us to watch just a couple more weeks. It's really sad that we're getting to the point where it's awesome at this point of the year, Chris, to always be talking about the championship games and the Super Bowl and then it's kind of bittersweet, too, because you're like, this is about to be awesome, and then it's about to be done. Yeah, but see, <laughs> the cool thing is, once it's done, we actually get to have an exciting offseason to look forward to this year. That is valid. <laughs> so this that year, is valid. that's actually not terrible. So That is true. You have the number two pick, so you can get pretty excited about that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we had some audio from Doc Walker talking with Dan Miller from the Lions Radio Network a couple weeks ago. I want to hear that audio because he's talking about Ben Johnson. And for any of you that are questioning if he's a good leader, if he can be a guy that can lead the whole roster, I think it's an interesting soundbite. We'll play that for you next as we wrap up overtime here on The Fan. Final couple minutes here on Overtime, 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer with you. We'll turn it over to Tech Talk Live coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we get out of here, Chris has been trying to get me to play this audio for a while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about Ben Johnson. I'm interested to hear Dan Miller from the Lions was talking about Ben Johnson and his leadership skills. He was talking with Doc Walker. This clip is from January 14th. Let's give it a listen. Well, a young guy, great presence. Uh, you know, I think he's going to walk into a room with owners and general managers and people in administration and impress them right away. He's just got a great presence about him which is you know coach Gibbs had as well and he's just got that ability and I'm not comparing him obviously with coach Gibbs track record but there's something about a coach doc you know you played for enough of them I've been around enough of them that they Mm -hmm. have to have that it factor they have to have that presence to resonate to stand in front of a room of men and to motivate them and to keep them going in tough times and and to keep them you know, on an even keel when times are good, and he's got that. I mean, it's just you can see he's just bred for this. Uh, even when he was here just working with the tight ends and being a, you know, a passing game assistant, you just right. sensed there was something special about him. And I think whoever gets him is going to get a heck of a head coach. They're going to get a heck of an offensive mind, and they're going to get somebody that can relate to players. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think the three years that they both spent with Dan Campbell and actually – They've been with him longer than that because Ben was with him in Miami and Aaron Glenn was with him in New Orleans. Just watching the way Dan Campbell conducts himself and the way that he runs this organization will be beneficial to them because he's done such a good job. So they've, they've had good mentors. They have had people that have, that have helped them understand what it is to lead a team. And I think they're both of the mind to be able to do that. But Ben is a guy that there's, there's, I'd be shocked if Ben Johnson does not end up with a job somewhere after this season. I just don't see any way we get through this cycle and he's still our offensive coordinator. And I think the team knows that as well. And, and look, AG's the same thing. He's, he's just got a presence about him. He's a very commanding man when he stands in front of a room and addresses people. And uh, they just had a poll recently uh, about the most popular coordinator in the league, and he yeah. won it. I mean, guys yeah. want to be around him and they want to play with him. He hasn't had tremendous success in terms of his defense here, but in fairness to him, he also hasn't had a tremendous amount of talent. He's had to make do with uh, some deficiencies back there. But, yeah, uh, again, he me even more. down, he's going to help people. And I, I think you heard right there from Dan Miller from the Lions was talking about Ben Johnson, and he has that presence. So, you know, so many people, when they talk about Ben Johnson, the people that aren't necessarily big fans of him love to bring up the fact that he hasn't been a head coach and – There are uncertainties of whether he'll be able to lead a full team, a full 53-man roster. And those are valid questions. But you have to take shots like we talked about at the beginning to bring it full circle. Sometimes you have to take shots. This team would have never been in the position that it was if they didn't take a shot on Joe Gibbs. They took a shot on Joe Gibbs, and he turned out to be everything you wanted and more. 
And so taking a shot on a guy like a Ben Johnson that sounds like he can command a room, sounds like he can motivate the guys, can do all these things that you need to be able to do as a head coach, as a leader of a football team, sounds like he can do all those things. And you throw in the fact that this guy is a master tactician and what he's been able to do at the quarterback position with Jared Goff. Jared Goff was the number one overall pick. I understand all that. But Jared Goff was basically cast away by Sean McVay. He was cast out because he didn't like what he was doing. He didn't like how it worked with him. And even though they'd gone to a Super Bowl together, they were willingly starting John Wolford. They were willingly playing guys like that. And so for him to be able to come in and turn things around with that guy, the guy that was cast off by Sean McVay, and get things turned around and turn them into one of the best offenses in the league. And the talent that they've done it with has been not all first-round type guys. They have a good offensive line. But Amon Ross St. Brown wasn't a first-round pick, right? David Montgomery, they signed in free agency. But Sam Laporta, first-round pick, good tight end. They've added Jameer Gibbs. But Josh Reynolds, the guys like that, he's found ways to get guys wide open across the middle of the field and making it work for Jared Goff. And to me, when you talked about these questions, so many people were talking about, do you want a leader of men or do you want someone who's really good at the X's and O's? I kind of lean towards having a guy that's good as an X's and O's guy because it seems like if you can have a guy that you feel like you always have an advantage with, a guy that you feel like can draw up stuff to make you the better football team every time you step out on the field, feels like some of the leadership stuff will take care of itself. But when you listen to that clip from Dan Miller, it sounds like any concerns that you have about Ben Johnson as a leader are unwarranted. Yes, we haven't seen it fully, but he's had experience in the building now for multiple years with Dan Campbell. So he's seen up close and personal what it's like to be a leader because it's not like Dan Campbell's calling the offense. It's not like Dan Campbell's calling the defense. He's strictly there to be the head football coach and be the leader of that organization, and he's done a heck of a job at it. He's been amazing at leading that football team and one of the best leaders in the National Football League, whether you like him or not. He's an incredible leader. And so he's been around that. He understands exactly how Dan Campbell has been doing things. And so you think he hasn't picked up some of that? And on top of that, you have to be somewhat of a leader to have that good of an offense and that good of a unit and to make everything mesh together like he has He's a great leader, I think, just from what we've seen and what his ability. But on top of that, he brings to you an acumen and an offense that's been shown can be successful in the National Football League. And so the questions at quarterback, I don't think there should be any questions. If they hire Ben Johnson, it's a home run hire. If, they were, if they're able to get him, it's a home run hire. And all signs are pointing that that's the direction they're going to go. But it just feels like, to me, any questions about that are unwarranted. You heard from that clip, once again, that he's going to be a good leader. He's going to be a guy that can lead this football team. That's going to do it for us. Appreciate Chris for sticking around a little after GND. I'm Toby Altizer. Tech Talk Live comes up next right here on 106.7 The Fan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.